Lynn Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. We were just sitting here. I think everybody's exhausted. It's February 1st. It's heart month. We should be very eager. We should be very energetic. We, our hearts should be pumping. But everybody's really tired. I think it has a lot to do with a little bit of the winter blues, winter doldrums, even though winter hasn't been that bad. We've been pretty lucky. We had the little storm yesterday, but totally not what we've seen here in New England in the past. We know we could be there, out here for much worse. So we are definitely into heart month, and we are going to be giving you from St. Mary's Hospital an entire month of heart health education. Tonight, we're What we're going to be doing is we're going to start with a topic that I'm calling, are you listening to your heart? And basically, have you been paying attention to what your heart has been telling you? One one of the best ways to prevent cardiovascular disease is to understand what your heart has been saying. And I can tell you from a personal perspective, at the age, the ripe old age of 56, um, my dad um, recently passing away this year um, with, with, um, unfortunately, from um, valve problems. And my mom having a heart attack at the same time, um, you know, she's 78. You start thinking about it. You start thinking about your own mortality. You start thinking about, could this be me? Even though you think you feel perfectly fine and you go to your routine checkups with your doctor, which is so incredibly important, you know, you really need to look at your history and you need to listen to your heart and what your heart's been telling you. So I did start with a cardiologist this month and and started moving my way to testing and thankfully everything so far is good but I think it's really important to share that with all the audience tonight. So we have with us tonight Dr. Joseph Nanaraj who is a certified um, cardiologist, board certified cardiologist now with the Franklin Medical Group. Hi doc. Hi Robin, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. You came to us about a year ago, right? No, it hasn't been that long. It seems like it's been a year ago. Well, we had you on the radio um, yeah. when you first started. Yeah, so but um, you've been with I us. I joined in August. Started in August. August, and I was on the radio in September. In September. Yeah, September. So it feels to me like you've been with yeah, us a while yeah. because you are so loved in our physician community and our patient community. My now, love. Dr. Nanaraj, um, again, is a board-certified cardiologist, and his focus is really just that. Yeah. Good old cardiology. Right, good old My cardiology. focus is only the heart. Only the heart. And we wanted to talk a little bit tonight about chest pain, mm-hmm. what chest pain is. Um, there's a few terms that are used for chest pain, but what causes it? What does it mean? And we're going to talk a little bit about heart attacks. Um, I think it was really important to start with the most basic thing. Sure. Which would be chest pain, and and which is why I brought you here with me tonight. But before we do that, I want to make sure everybody knows from whence you came, because you have you have a very long history of your education, which speaks to your knowledge. So, where did you do your medical background? So basically, I went to medical school in India, and mm-hmm. uh, I did my post graduation in India again, MD. Yep. And then I, when I moved into the United States, I had to do it again, the whole <laughs> residency, and then the... So you got double training. Double training. And I think it is a blessing for me to go through those training, because right. in India, I get to see a lot of variety of pathologies. And then when I moved in here, it helped me a lot, integrating those pathologies, and see, when I see patients... In the Western countries. countries is it different? You know, did you see a difference between the cultures and, and, the, and the type of heart disease that you see? Um, to some extent, yeah. yes. Um, there we see a lot of valvular heart disease. Uh, I mean, rheumatic heart disease is very common in India. Okay. Um, so we see a lot of valvular heart disease in India. A lot India. of valves. Yeah. A lot of valves affected. Yeah. But recently, um, the incidence of coronary artery disease, meaning mm-hmm. the blockages in the heart arteries, is also increasing. In India, in, too. In India, too. In all, in Southeast Asia, it's, it is increasing, uh, mainly because of the prevalence of diabetes increasing. Yeah, it's, I was yeah. just going to say, probably yeah. because we're bringing food over there that they weren't used to eating before. Because uh-huh. here in Western countries, we're yeah. really bad. We're really bad with our high-fat diets. And I think in your countries, you probably eat more fruits and vegetables and... You weren't subjected to what you see here, and now we're going. Yeah, probably, yeah, it is part of the globalization, right, I think. Right, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, exactly. Some of our bad habits are drifting east. Yeah. Not really. I mean, everybody has their own good habits yeah. and bad habits, but, yeah. I mean, it's all, uh, one is, I mean, um, people are getting more sedentary, uh, right. I mean, uh, works. 
and uh, they don't work in the fields anymore. Right. It's and, true. Yeah. So, you know, that's everywhere. You're yeah. right. So, so, you know, with with technology and yeah. we're not doing it the hands-on yeah, that exactly. we so. would be doing before. What made you choose cardiology? I always had a passion for cardiology. I mean, the uh, hemodynamics, uh, the how the heart works mm-hmm. and how it integrates the whole system uh, and how it makes the system work. Uh, was fascinating to me, and that's why I went into cardiology, and I still enjoy doing it. You enjoy doing it. What drew drew you to us? What drew you to to St. Mary's? Sorry, what's that? What drew you to St. Mary's Hospital? So how did you find out? Oh, how how do you... uh, I ended up in St. Mary's after interviewing a lot of places Mm -hmm. uh, across the country. Wow. Okay, so... um, we initially thought about moving away from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And that, like that, a lot of people do, unfortunately. But having looked everywhere, I thought um, this is the place to be. That's great. Yeah, because, I mean, I got trained at Griffin Hospital, mm-hmm. uh, and I know the people, a lot of people around the valley, and mm-hmm. a lot of doctors, primary care doctors. And then when I interviewed in St. Mary's Hospital, I really liked the people here, and they are all wonderful people to work with. Mm. And I realized that during my first visit here. That's awesome. You know, I'll tell you, I speak of it all the time, but, you know, I've been part of the St. Mary's culture my whole life since I was born pretty much and um, it is a very special place yeah, sure. and, and, and you know is, our doctors sense it yep. when doctors come to interview they, they sense that you know that sense of family and, and no it is it is a, a family yeah, environment awesome. definitely that's awesome so our topic tonight again mm-hmm. is you know chest pain or angina mm-hmm. which is called and I'm sure you see a lot of that People coming in with chest pain every every day. day. So when you have a person, first of all, what causes chest pain? What's a typical chest pain? So there are thousands of causes of Mm -hmm. chest pains. I mean, um, chest pain could be caused by anything, starting from the heart, Mm -hmm. from your intestines, okay, from your foot pipe, which is called the esophagus, okay. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of causes of chest pain, or it could be simple muscle pain, um, or muscle pain. pain of the heart. No, no. Or just your chest wall. Chest wall. Okay. Just the chest wall. Okay. So it is very important to differentiate between those and those kind of pain, whether <laughs> it is coming from the muscles or whether it is coming from other organs nearby the heart. Um, so, as I said, the chest pain could be due to many factors. Okay. One of the common thing which we don't want to miss is the pain coming from the heart. Okay. Right. Uh, not every pain, chest pain, kills you, but the pain coming from the heart, if ignored, can kill you. So how do you differentiate? Um, one is by talking to the patient. Okay. I mean, by listening carefully to the patient is the key thing. Okay. So most of the time, patient comes in with chest pain. Then we ask them what kind of pain you have and then what kind of pain and what, how often does it happen and what makes it worse and what makes it better and is it accompanied by any other symptoms. Okay. So those are the questions which, tip, uh, which we typically, typically ask, ask the patients. And also, in the background, uh, we also think about their risk factors. What are the risk factors of having a heart disease? Okay. And putting everything together, we draw a conclusion in our mind. Right. uh, Whether it could be a heart disease, what is the probability of this patient having a heart disease or not? Okay. So that's how we make a... When a a patient comes in Mm -hmm. and they're complaining of chest pain, I I know that when I was on the floors, if a patient complained of chest pain, we would go crazy yeah you know but you're seeing someone come in because they've been referred by your their doctor or they've known you in the past you know senior Mm -hmm. cardiologist in the past or they're just worried based on their family history but what type of pain worries you more when they describe it okay so the pain which worries me more is like a squeezing pain or a crushing pain okay i'm not saying everybody will have this typical presentation but this is more common okay okay? i won't ignore this kind of pain a crushing pain or sometimes the patient may describe that somebody i feel like somebody's sitting on my chest right okay i'm sure we've heard that description before but it bears remembrance because it's a scary feeling exactly Mm -hmm. and they um and the pain usually can radiate to their neck or to the jaw or to their arms okay and usually last for minutes 
not for seconds. Okay, so usually those pains, usually coming from the heart, last for more than a few minutes, like 5 to 10 minutes, or more than 20 minutes when we call it as unstable angina. Okay, right. Meaning, I mean, the patient has uh, a step slightly ahead, I mean, uh, one step behind having a heart attack. A heart attack. Yeah. Okay. When we call it an unstable angina. Okay, if it lasts more than 20 to 30 minutes and if it doesn't go away. So do some people get chest pain intermittently? They'll get it and then it goes away and they... Yeah. Ignore it, but doesn't really lead to a heart attack? Yes. So we call that as a stable angina. Okay. When the patient has some blockages in their vessels in the heart, and they can develop chest pains when they start doing some exercise or when they oh. start doing uh, walkings or right. climbing uphill, climbing stairs, then they can have this kind of um stable angina kind of chest pain. They don't necessarily kill them, but if left untreated left untreated i mean then eventually it could affect their heart and their heart function okay so when a patient comes in what you you listen to you take their history and then what what are some other tests that maybe you order to help you with the chest pain so basically it it is all driven by the history Mm. okay as i said um the test, I usually don't jump up on the, uh, to the test okay. without talking to the patient and okay. without finding out whether this could be really pain from the heart. I mean, sometimes uh, if the patient says, I mean, I have acid reflux, and mm. if the patient says that I have pain which comes in for a second and goes away, that is probably not a pain coming from the heart. Or, right. Usually pain coming from the heart doesn't last, I mean, only for a second. Okay. It lasts much longer than that. And usually pricking type of pains uh, are not pricking type of pains which get exaggerated by taking a deep inspiration is very unlikely to be from blockage Uh of heart arteries. Okay. Okay. In that case, I will order a different test. Right. Okay. Ruling out clot in her lungs or if the patient has a pneumonia or something. Right. Okay. But if I am worried that this is coming from the heart, the first thing I would do is get an ECG to find out if there are any changes. And ECG all the time may not show everything. Right. Okay. So then we go and order a stress test. Right. Okay. So there are various kinds of stress tests which which we can order to figure out whether... The patient has, um, I mean, the, the the possibility of having a heart disease or not. So the stress test so can be resting, non-resting, and there's a various kinds, right? So why don't we explain a little bit of what the stress test is? Because I think stress tests are scary. Yeah. I think they're scary for some people because I know, Johnny, you had one, right? They're scary because I, they hear people hear so many stories about people having a heart attack. Uh, while having a stress test or so how is it done and how do we keep them safe while they're having it is the best place to be is with the cardiologist that is for sure johnny yeah better than running a marathon with no cardiologist around so we do the stress test in a monitored setting so where i mean there is a physician or an aprn okay who is trained in cprs Mm -hmm. and who can deal with any problems or complications from a stress test okay so i'm not saying stress test is totally um benign but i mean we don't have to worry about unless it is done properly okay so and so common stress test which we do is a treadmill stress test Mm -hmm. okay where we make the patient walk on the treadmill okay it's a graded exercise where the treadmill goes up and slope and the speed increases every three minutes okay how fast do you make it go what i mean what if somebody's really out of shape oh um because people get even if people don't have heart disease but they're somewhat out of shape they get out of breath i always start with i'm raising my hand because that's so me yeah i always start with a a treadmill stress test no matter even if the patient says i cannot walk i would tell them i would like you to see walking and to see how much you can walk right because the most important thing which predicts your mortality Mm -hmm. is the exercise tolerance Mm. rather than anything else so that is what i'm trying to find out when they put uh, when i put the patient on the treadmill because um if they cannot walk for a few minutes on the treadmill then their chance of having 
complications from heart disease or any A other, greater. I mean, any other, uh, mm. like lung disease or mm. whatever, their mortality is higher as right. compared to a patient who can walk on a treadmill for seven to nine minutes. Right. Okay. So that gives me an idea mm. whether uh, how um, risky this patient is. Mm. Uh, uh, Especially if they've the complained chance? about exactly. chest pain. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. So I always try to start with mm. treadmill stress test. But mm. if the patient says, I cannot walk totally, I mean, my knees are hurting. Right. And my, uh, I'm, I'm afraid right. that I'm going to fall, then right. we have other options like injecting medications to dilate the heart arteries and some inject some nuclear material and take some pictures of the heart to figure out if the uh, perfusion of the heart is uniform or not. Okay. If the perfusion of uh, the heart is not uniform in those pictures, then we can say whether the patient may have a blockage or not. Okay, but usually I start with treadmill stress test. Start with a treadmill. And if the patient is able to do household chores, they should be able to walk on a treadmill. To walk on a treadmill. treadmill. But see, that's the key. You're saying walk. I think people think they have to run. Right. Usually it starts with walking and then as they... It picks up a little. It picks up a little, okay. But that's okay. I mean, we are monitoring them. Right. We are monitoring their ECG. Right. And we go by uh, the ECG uh, criteria as where if we find a lot of uh, irregular heartbeats or dangerous rhythm starting to appear, we stop the test. You stop the test. Test. Okay. The worst case scenario, which I haven't uh, ever seen, seen uh, because we are proactive and right. stopping the test before something happens, right. is we... Uh, the patient can have arrhythmias and drop right. uh, on the table. Right. But that's very, but your very, team very is amazing. Yeah, and you do, do them right out of your out of the West Main Street office. Yeah, we do it in the West Main Street and in the hospital. And in so the hospital, we are all there all the time. Yeah, we'll be there within a few seconds. And I know both those teams. Yes, I know both those teams well. As a matter of fact, the one at West Main Street, Claudia and I went to nursing school together, and she's oh, nice. amazing. Yeah, she, they she's are amazing. amazing. And no. you know, it's incredible because people say, "Well, do you utilize?" Your own physicians, you know, mm-hmm. you see them all the time. You utilize them all. I don't think I trust anybody more. Yeah. I don't Thank think you. I Thank trust you. anybody more to, to my own care as well as my family's care. And and sometimes we can't predict everything. Sure. But I'd like to know that that team is there yeah. taking care of us, you know. And yeah. so that's why I speak from personal experience. Yeah. But you guys are awesome. Yeah. And the team is incredible. Yeah. So I think what the listeners may benefit is also, I mean, talking about their risk factors. Mm. Because, I mean, I think we jumped up on to the... Um, treadmill part, right. but I think uh, patients should understand what their risk is, okay? So conventionally, there are a few risk factors which predispose them to heart attacks, okay? Some of them we cannot modify, mm. right? One is your age. So as patients age uh, from 50, 40s, 50, 60, their incidence of heart disease goes up. Goes up. Okay, which we cannot do much about right. it. Okay, right. so uh, unless they are doing something in genetic engineering, right? Um, okay, we cannot <laughs> mo- modify those risk factors uh, at this point. And the other thing is the gender. Right. Okay, males are slightly prone for heart disease at a younger age as compared to females. Females more at an older age? Yeah. Why is that, Doc? So estrogen has some protective effect. Oh, the estrogen. Estrogen, okay. But you also have to have the history. uh, This afternoon I had a patient who had a hysterectomy in her 30s. Mm. And she kind of came to me with chest pain. I cannot ignore her chest pain right. because she's not protected. She's not protected because she doesn't have the, the estrogen. Oh, she wasn't on stuff, yeah. which is why sometimes they put women on the hormone replacement at a younger age because of that. Yeah, that but has pros that, and cons. That, right, that, that has pros and cons because I'm has hearing pros that's and cons. not. Yeah, so there is a study, women's heart study, which showed right. who had uh, been on hormonal sup- uh, I mean, supplementation right. had a higher risk of stroke. So, I mean, you have to weigh have your to risk. You weigh one against the other, other and look at yeah. your history. Yeah, exactly. So everyone is different. Wow. And talking to them helps a lot. Yeah, definitely. So what are some of the other risks? So, as I said, I mean, those are the risk factors which cannot be modified, mm-hmm. age and family history. And family history. What can we do about it? What Nothing. could you do? Okay, so if... You watch what your parents did wrong. Yeah, so I... Which usually, helps a little. Yeah. Which helps a little. Yeah, so... If a patient says that my father had a heart attack and died at 40s, mm. 
then that makes me worry. Right. But then I ask the next question would be, did your father smoke? Mm-hmm. Okay, if he smoked and then died, but my, if my patient didn't smoke, and he's probably in a better chance. Better, of, re- better, frank, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you have to put everything together. Mm-hmm. And patients uh, whose father had a heart attack, before 55 years of age, mm-hmm. they are at a higher risk. They're at a higher risk. A twofold risk of having a mm-hmm. heart attack. Whereas um, females, we call it as a premature heart disease if they have a heart attack or anything before their age of 65 years old. Wow. That's it's called premature. Premature. Wow. Family history. Family history. If a male has heart disease less than 55 years of age and a female has uh, heart disease or heart attacks, uh, less than 65 years of so age. So there's a 10-year difference. 10-year difference because of the estrogen effect. Wow. And wow. And what else? Okay, so those are risk factors which cannot we modify. We can't change them. Okay, so now we'll talk about the risk factors which we can modify. Right. Okay. One is the main thing is the obesity. Right. Okay. Right. High cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tobacco abuse, which is the main, main thing. Okay. So... We always try to counsel our patient, and most of them are uh, listening these days and trying to quit. Uh, I mean, at least motivated to quit. Right, moderate it. Yeah, so I read in a journal that, I mean, a patient quits 10 times before he quits for good. Forever. Okay. Imagine that. So it takes a lot of effort from the physician's point of view, from the patient's point of view, but you have to be persistent. You do. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned obesity, but it's not even just obesity. It is truly healthy eating, like forever. Yes, exactly. It is not just a diet. I mean, it truly is. Yeah. You so, know, I was excited. I had my triglycerides. They were only 52. Oh, I'm okay. really excited about that. <laughs> okay, nice. Well, you know, it's funny, but, you know, I made a conscious effort. Oh, my gosh, it's going back 25 years ago not to eat beef or pork. Yeah. I totally cut those out and really try to do as little fat as I can. But it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's an everyday thing. Yes. You know, and I watched my, my mom and dad and, and how they ate. My mom's idea of a diet is a bowl of ice cream every day and no other food. Oh. That's her idea of a diet. <laughs> but, you know, I think that we do learn from our sins of the past and I think that, you know, it's really, really hard. Yes. It's really hard to maintain that healthy diet. But if you're going to do it, it has to be every day. Yeah. First thing I would start, I mean, before uh, going there, I would talk about other risk factors. Like mm-hmm. I mean, uh, sm- we talked about smoking, smoking. we talked about um, obesity mm-hmm. and the uh, unhealthy food habits, mm-hmm. okay, high cholesterol. Mm-hmm. These are all the things which can be modified. Okay, we can so, change them if we work hard. Exactly, mm. exactly. And then we can make a dent on your right. risk. Right. Okay, so that's what we focus on. We cannot modify the other risk factors, which you talked about uh, a few minutes ago, but at least these factors, high blood pressure, high mm-hmm. cholesterol, diabetes, mm. okay, and obesity, sedentary lifestyle, mm-hmm. okay, unhealthy food habits. These mm. are the things which we should uh, focus on and uh, try to modify it to reduce their risk. No, oh, definitely. And there are other things which we say contributory risk factors, mm. which could be stress. Okay, I mean, stress, who doesn't that, have stress? Who doesn't have stress? stress. You know, but some, some <coughs> physicians have told me stress doesn't really make a difference, but I really think it does. Uh, stress doesn't directly cause heart attacks. Right. Okay, um, it contributes. To it, it contributes. So yeah. Okay, so I'm not saying it accentuates is di- it to some exactly. degree. Exactly. Okay. Mm. Um, I mean, we are learning more and more about um, heart diseases, stress-related heart diseases. Right. Um, okay, I mean, in stress-related heart diseases where the body secretes more of adrenaline mm. and that can cause lack of blood flow, we call it as a broken heart syndrome. Somebody talked to me okay. about this So stress ago. definitely that's plays a role. I'm not saying that's the main, main right, thing, but right. it can contribute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because psychologically, we control some of our yeah. body. Yes, exactly. If you're a type A personality, I mean, mm-hmm. your blood pressures are running high, and that doesn't help, uh, help mm-hmm. your heart either. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you about blood pressure, so we will we'll definitely talk about that. Yes. Um, and then uh, we were talking about the diet. Right. Mm. Right. So mm. diet is a tough thing. It's right? hard. Okay. I would advise that we start 
cooking our own diet. Mm-hmm. Okay, rather than take uh, out, take out, or buying from McDonald's. Or I mean, it's okay once in a while, but not right. every day. Okay, right. now I go to McDonald's when I'm dri- <laughs> no, when I'm driving, yeah, or if quick. I can't uh, can't get access to right. any food. Right. But when I'm home, I should not be ordering McDonald's or that's pizza. Right. right? Okay. Right. That's right. Yeah. So I mean. Uh, you can have it once in a while, but right. not every day. Not every day. Uh, it's not only about, about McDonald's. Right. Everything. Okay. Oh, everything. So starting from processed foods. Okay. Mm-hmm. So processed foods have a lot of chemicals. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of uh, salt in it. Salt in it. And they're all going to raise your blood pressure, mm-hmm. blood cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Okay. And meat, mm-hmm. particularly red meat mm-hmm. and high fatty foods, uh, high fatty meats. That's why I cut the red meat out because yeah. it really yeah. your body can't digest it well yeah we weren't not made to eat that yeah and not only that i mean uh, from i mean um, i think the gi people will be happy to hear this too <laughs> it also increases the risk of your For colon. colon cancer yeah absolutely right? yeah absolutely yeah. you know growing up in a very italian family my my grand the culture we had was mm-hmm. a lot of greens yeah. and a lot of beans exactly we ate that all the time yeah. greens and beans and now yeah. they're delicacies when you go into restaurants right yeah, but exactly we eat them all the time you know now everybody's eating kale we ate kale my whole life growing up yeah and that's becoming more costlier mm-hmm. than to buy that right. it's getting more expensive now that everybody exactly. likes it it's more expensive exactly. now i have to grow it in my yeah. little garden but as i said i mean start from your home try to mm. cook uh, i mean uh, try cook. to cook every day and that way you can control what you right. can add in it right. okay reduce your salt intake mm-hmm. i mean the american heart association recommends uh, at least 1. Uh, five grams to two grams of salt every day, not more than that. Mm. Okay. Uh, the one way you could do is by looking at the labels, but I mean, some of the canned foods, you cannot rely on them and it's loaded with salt. Cans are bad. Yeah, canned foods. Cans are bad. That's right, Johnny, looking at the serving because I think we were really yep. bad about that. Yep. Now, what I do is, and it's really great, I don't know if anybody out there has it, but Weight Watchers, I have their app okay. and they have a barcode scanner. Yeah. So you can take a product and you can actually barcode it and it tells you how many points it is and you'd be surprised and it's per the serving. So, you know, if you have a can of beans, there's really four servings in there. I'm saying to you, don't even go to the cans. No, don't use the cans at all. If you do, (laughs) you have to rinse them. Rinse them, but... Don't buy, buy the fr- cans. Buy fresh, buy fresh. vegetables. And we do. Cook your own. We do. We cook, cook our own. own. But beans sometimes take a long time. I do get canned beans. Yeah, but, but I rinse them. But if you end up in a hospital, you could be there for a long time too. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. I'm going to start soaking the beans and cooking them. No, I, I mean grow your, if possible, grow your own vegetables, yep. or at least buy fresh vegetables. Definitely. And then that way you could control, and uh, you don't have to add a lot of oil. Mm-hmm. You can sauté it. And and instead of adding salt, you could add lemons, right, lemon herbs, juice. okay, so that you don't feel like that you're eating without salt. Without without anything. Exactly. So I'm not a, uh, totally against salt. I mean, right. our body needs salt. As I said, I mean, it needs like 1.5 grams to 2 grams but of salt. But there's so much in it and in so all the foods. Yes. So you're adding more. Exactly. Right. You have to be careful. Yeah. What about, you just said something about oils. What do you, in you know, looking at diet, what do you recommend with people with types of oil? Because there's so many oils out there. I mean, I use olive oil for everything Yeah. because I grew so, up with it. Yeah, so, so far the best studies have been done with the uh, Mediterranean diet, okay? Mm. So they have the best diet in the world, uh, the Mediterranean diet, which uses predominantly olive oil, okay? So, so I'm doing okay with that. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, any oil which freezes in cold, I think it's not good. Because it's fatty. Fatty. Right. Okay. So if I keep the olive oil, it's not going to... No, olive oil doesn't freeze. freeze. No, okay. that's, that's true. So that's true. these are common observations. Okay. So, uh, I mean... I was like vegetable oils, those all freeze. Freeze. Right. No, vegetable oils don't freeze. They don't freeze? They don't freeze. Okay. But more but the lard stuff that's... Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, mm. So... Stuff that's the solid. best data we have is from the olive oil, mm. basically the Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. Okay, eat a lot of fruits, vegetables, nuts, 
okay, natural, fishes, legumes, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to eat poultry, use skinless poultry, mm-hmm. okay, and fish, a lot of fish. A lot of fish. Yes. You know, I'll, it's it's definitely something as a kid that we, we grew up with. It's what I what I grew yeah. up with. But then as time goes on, it's so true. Yeah. The, our culture changes, our lifestyles change, and we do tend to go down that road yeah. of buying something fast because we have kids and we yeah, want to get exactly. out the door. And it's so hard. In, in another month, I'm bringing on one of our dietitians to talk a little bit about that again. We've talked about it a lot, but how to really stay and keep your family healthy in this this crazy world of yeah. fast food and things that are making our lives convenient when they're really yeah. not. No, I think... Um Having the cook, uh, food cooked in your own house right. along with your kids, with your spouse, increases yeah. the bonding. It's true. You spend more time. You do. My husband thinks I'm crazy because I you know, I come home at night by the time I walk in the door, but I have my meal planned. You know, like even tonight, yeah. I had two things tonight, but I had made a double meal last oh, night. Okay. So that tonight, he has the double meal so oh. that he didn't have to worry about me running in the door and cooking something, okay, yeah, you know? And yeah. it, you have to, it's harder, but you have yeah. to think it out. You do. Yeah, you can exactly. do it. Yeah. You just have to plan it. Yeah. So how long does it going to take to cut a vegetable? And, oh, that's all I do is cut just veggies. Sorry. Yeah. And... It's so true. It's so much easier. Yeah, it's so and much nicer. Cut a vegetable. I mean, uh, cut only a fruit. the beans. I'm really bad at the doc, so I got to soak the beans now. <laughs> okay, I leave the beans use... then. <laughs> there are other good vegetables too. <laughs> okay, veggies are good. Veggies, I'll cut up for okay. you. But the beans take overnight to yeah. soak. They take. But a don't long buy time. cooked vegetables from no, outside. I, I would prefer you do it on your right. way. He's you... he's he's guiding me down the right path. Yes. Good. No, I think it should be a general message for everyone. Absolutely. Food is your medicine. Food is your medicine. It's so true. It's so true. And it's balanced, too. And uh, I think most of the other problems are caused by chemicals added in Mm. drinks, soft Uh, drinks, beverages. Okay. So, I mean, Coke, Pepsi. and It's true. Okay. I mean, what are they? I mean, they're not natural. They're They're all chemicals. What kind of chemicals are those? You're right. And I think part of the problems which we are facing in this century mm. are combination of environmental factors mm-hmm. and what we eat. And what we eat. And so true. It's so true. Yeah. I think that we, you know, we 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 don't want it. We always want to have the quick fix. Something that's a lifestyle change and a long-term change yeah. takes definitely a lot longer. We have to take a break. We haven't taken a break yet. We do have a, um, just so the audience knows, we do have a basketball game that's coming on. So we may have to end a couple of minutes early, but Johnny's going to give me the high sign when that happens. But we're going to take a quick break and come right back.
Hi, everyone. Robin Sills from St. Mary's. Welcome to Medically Speaking. And we are medically speaking this entire month on the heart because it's February, February 1st, and it's heart month. And tonight we're starting our month off talking about chest pain and heart attack. And we have with us Dr. Joseph Nanaraj, who is a board-certified cardiologist with the Franklin Medical Group, part of St. Mary's Hospital. Hi again, Doc. Thank you. Thank you for coming again tonight. Doc. Doc reminded me that he's only been here since August with us, but he's made such an impression and an impact on us that it feels like he's been part of the team forever. You're one of those physicians that feels like you've been around for a really long time. So good. Is it a good thing or bad thing? It's a good thing. (laughs) It's a good thing. It's only only Dr. Kelly that makes me crazy. No, I'm sorry, Doc. Dr. (laughs) Paul Kelly, who is kind of the leader of our cardiology, he's our chief of cardiology at St. Mary's and and, um, part of your team, he's going to be on with us this month also, and he's always got some fun facts for us. So we can't take away all his thunder tonight. Okay. So we started talking about angina and, um, you know, which is typically chest pain, um, and talking a little bit about what scares you, what what doesn't scare you about chest pain. And then we talked about the signs and symptoms and leading to a heart attack. But not all heart attacks start with chest pain, as we were just saying just now in the break. And maybe that's a really good point to start the rest of our show with and talking about some of those atypical signs, as you just said, yes. regarding a heart attack. And if anyone wants to call in, I always forget to do is 203-757-1320. You certainly can. We're going to be on now until um, a little bit before seven when the basketball game starts. So let's talk a little bit about that atypical. Okay. So atypical symptoms commonly occur in uh, patients who have diabetes, mm. Okay, old age, mm. and females. Females are the most common. We're the worst. Oh, no, you're not the worst. We're the worst in trying to figure it out. It's harder <laughs> to diagnose us with the heart attacks. Yeah, uh, because everybody is different. Yeah. Okay. And um, so females can just perceive shortness of breath. <laughs> okay. So if they are having shortness of breath and if they have the risk factors which I, which we talked about, right. then... It, we should, uh, they should have their heart checked. So when you say shortness of breath, because I want to define this, because I don't yeah. want everyone out there to panic who has the shortness of breath, but it may be something else. Okay. Shortness of breath doing minimal activity. Minimal, uh, yes. So any exertional shortness of breath. Meaning, okay. I mean, if they are trying to climb stairs uh, and if they are not able to do activities which they previously used to do without okay. any problems, okay, and uh, if they develop shortness of breath with those activities, which mm. did not give them shortness of breath prior, right. then they should be considering at least making sure this is not from the heart, okay? Because as I said, women could present atypically. And you would be concerned there could be blockages? Possibly. Okay. Okay. And sometimes they can present with difficulty lying down if they went into heart failure from blockages. Okay. Okay. So they can go into heart failure if their symptoms are not taken care of right away. And if their blockages are not fixed, um, uh, right away. Right away. They can go into heart failure. Right. And, uh, and, and then the, they can feel more shut of breath and they cannot lie down. They cannot, uh, they wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air. Mm-hmm. Those are all the things. And if ignored for a long time, they may not feel any more pain or shortness of uh, uh, any more pain, but they can have leg swelling in the long run. Because they've had heart damage now. I'm a da- heart damage now. and Because the heart's not pumping efficiently. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So that, so that with the longer these, heart, these blockages are there, they may be able to get by with them. Yes. But they're creating damage to the heart damage muscle. Pretty, yes. Which at times is not repairable. Yeah. It is not repairable. Right. I mean, there are genetic therapies which are uh, and down the pipeline, but I don't know when that's going to be in the right. mainstream. Okay. But at this point, we don't have a definitive cure once the, I mean, uh, no way of reversing what has happened. Right. And then what happens once that heart muscle is damaged? So it depends on how much the heart muscle is damaged. Okay. And if there is a lot of damage, like 30 to 40%, I mm-hmm. mean, there 
your heart may not function or contract as effectively as it was as it was before and they can have a lot of complications from that they can have irregular dangerous heart rhythms mm. okay and then they can feel fatigued they can have shortness of breath all those stuff swellings swelling of the legs but um the atypical symptoms particularly female patients uh, or even male patients sometimes they insist when i tell them do you have chest pain they mm. insist i don't have chest pain i just have some discomfort okay so what do they mean by discomfort how do they explain it yeah so uh, they say i mean i just have a vague discomfort here in the chest uh, then i said i mean is that your pain i said they again insist it's not a pain it's just a discomfort <laughs> so they i think uh, in their mind i mean heart attack presents with severe severe Sharp. pain pain yeah. which would be incapacitating and right. this kind of small discomfort they think they Heart brush burn. It, yeah they brush it away mm. okay so that Johnny's I mean, nodding his head because yeah, yeah. unfortunately that was you Johnny yeah so i mean we have seen that a lot wow okay um so i would equate discomfort with chest pain so that we don't miss anything right okay so i mean if you are saying discomfort that's kind of a pain right okay um not all discomforts could be pain but i mean pain could be a discomfort how about the pe- person that presents with, with that heartburn heartburn uh yes it is possible that the patient can present with heartburn and so, what what why is that what what causes the heartburn and then it's really they're having heart attack um I mean, as I said, everybody has a different, different right. perception right. of the pain or right. discomfort. Right. And sometimes they are not able to describe mm. what exactly they are feeling. Right. Okay. Sometimes it is a burning sensation. Mm. Then they call it as a hot burn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so when even when patients come to me with a hot burn, I'm not going to tell them this is pure, purely from your GI, digestive, digestive. Right. If they have risk factors, that's what triggers you. It all comes back to those risk factors, risk factors. right? What is his a really good history, or mm-hmm. what is his probability of having a heart disease? Right. Okay. So un- um, unless you talk to your physician, yeah, uh, and give you a good hist- give them a good history, you're not going to uh, figure this out. Okay, and mm. then the next step is to do the appropriate testing. Right. Okay, and depending on what the test shows, okay, then we should send them for cardiac catheterization or manage them medically. Right. Okay, this is not about a patient who comes in with ST segment elevation, where acutely they blocked something, plaque rupture of the arteries. and then they totally block their arteries and and that would be a significant pain pain right. and then uh they will have ecg changes okay okay like st elevation we right. call them right and they need to be in the cath lab within 90 minutes wow uh, and we can get them there Yes, so I mean our chest pains uh, our hospital got yes. accreditation for chest pain center yep. recently not only for chest pain but for PCI and for resuscitation. So that's a great thing. And, and how that, does that work? Can you explain how that works, doc? So that works. I mean that tells the world that we are on par with the standards set by the major organization. Right. Okay. Right. And not many hospitals has those recognition. And We're really excited about that. Exactly. And, you know, you had to go through rigorous standards for that yeah. to happen and exactly. you know it's so important exactly. to to be a chest pain accredited center yes. that you follow the the blueprint that yes. that yeah. is the guidelines yeah. to exactly. getting a pain and yeah. and uh, time is muscle. Yeah, time is muscle. You're time right. is muscle, muscle, which is you know we want yeah. to keep that heart muscle as healthy as we possibly can. Exactly. You mentioned one of the other atypical patients being a diabetic patient. Yeah. Why is that? So there could be many factors. I mean, they can have autonomic neuros uh, I mean, neural dysfunction mm-hmm. because of their diabetes mm-hmm. and their pain threshold may be much higher because their nerves are not uh sensitive to pain, mm-hmm. okay? And those other things basically it's basically because their nerves are not 
working properly. Right, they're not as sensitive. Not as sensitive. They're not exactly. as sensitive, so their their signs and symptoms, symptoms are different. different. But their heart muscle, but their heart is compromised because of the poor circulation from uh, the diabetes. Uh, diabetes by itself usually initially causes. There are two types of heart. Uh, dysfunction. I hate to call heart failure. Mm-hmm. So I, heart dysfunction. Heart dysfunction. Okay. One is a diastolic dysfunction. The other one is called um, systolic dysfunction, where the pumping of the heart. Systolic dysfunction is where the pumping of the heart is not enough to meet the needs of the body. And the diastolic dysfunction is where the heart is not able to accommodate all the blood because of its impaired relaxation and stiffness. So diabetes, hypertension, and obesity, elderly age, patients start to develop diastolic dysfunction, meaning their heart is not relaxing. To to contract properly, right, you need to first have a relaxation so that the blood comes into the heart. Right. Then you can contract the blood out of the heart. Otherwise, it just goes flushing through. Yeah, right? it goes back to the lungs. It goes and back to the lungs, lungs and can kill you. Kill, uh, not kill you, but, uh, but it can cause a lot of um, uh, breathing problems right. and uh, fluid collection in your lungs. Right. Okay. So uh, diastolic dysfunction is the main thing with mm-hmm. diabetes. And over a period of time, if their diabetes is not under control, then they can slowly di- start developing blockages in their arteries. And then they can, at some point, they can end up having a heart attack. But because of that desensitization of their nerve, their nerve impediment is because of the diabetes. Yes. So their, their, their changes, they don't know, always notice them. Yes. So... That's why we always treat them or approach them in a different manner. If a diabetic patient or an elderly patient, we don't typically ask them whether they have a typical chest pain. Right. We, we ask for everything, like shortness of breath. Or right. Having, have you reduced your activities because mm-hmm. of shortness of breath? Okay. Are you able to enjoy the activities which you were previously used to do? Okay. So we have to look at everything. Everything. So one of the... The things that we like to to do as we get towards the end is I like to recap a little bit, and sure. I want the audience to leave with something really that they can think about, and it was definitely a uh, takeaway for them to yeah. remember. And I would say, what would you say to the audience out there that's experiencing a chest pain? What should be the first thing they do if they're experiencing chest pain at home? So if they are experiencing a chest pain, Okay, think about your risk factors. Mm. Okay, Uh, if you are a diabetic, if you are obese, hypertensive patient, if you have high cholesterol, and if you have chest pain, don't sit in your home and call 911 and wondering (laughs) what it is. Okay, or if your risk is low, for example, a 30 year old female, right? Okay, Mm. is having a chest pain. Okay, Mm. think about what kind of pain it is. Okay, so for the first group, I won't care whether the patient has atypical or typical chest pain. Right. Based on their risk factors, if the chest pain, if they have chest pain or chest discomfort, right. as most patients try to call it as chest discomfort, they should seek attention. Mm. It's better to be safer than sorry. Right. And we may tell you, I mean, this is probably not nothing to worry about. I mean, uh, nothing to worry about. Right. But still, it is better to be checked. But as part of our chest accreditation, that the um, if they do call 911, Yes. The ambulance drivers put the EKG machine on them, and they actually transmit, right? Yes, exactly. Right to our emergency room. Yes. So, I mean, we should have had the ECG done within 5 to 10 minutes, 5 mm-hmm. minutes preferably. And if we find that they had a heart attack, we should be in the cath lab. Um, we call that the door-to-balloon time. Door-to-balloon time, time right. In less than 90 minutes to open up the arteries, which we are capable of. And um, the complication rates in our hospital are very, very low, mm-hmm. and we have excellent interventional cardiologists. We do. Yeah, and we have excellent cardiothoracic surgeons. 
uh, Dr. Preisler. Right. Okay. We have enough backup and mm-hmm. we have hypothermia protocol. For example, if somebody loses consciousness, we can initiate hypothermia protocol to preserve their brain, uh, brain function. We, and we weren't able to do this before, you know, which yeah. is so amazing. We used to have to send patients down to New Haven. Yeah. But now, you know, we have this capability over the last yeah. 10 years. We have an incredible program exactly. with this door to balloon time. And, you know, I think some of the mistakes that some of the audience, you know, people make in the audience is, is that they think they're closer to the hospital by the time an ambulance gets there, they can be down at the hospital, but they don't realize you go to the emergency room, they're not prepared for you. Yeah. Whereas if the emer- if the ambulance picks you up and they're starting you right away, yes. they're able to do what they need to do, get the information there, and get you right to the cath lab if need be, yeah. as soon as they get you in the door. Yeah. The team's already being called yeah. as you're being driven there. Yeah. Once they come to the ER and... Uh, if they cannot get an appointment right. Um, right away to see a cardiologist, we, myself, sees patients in the hospital see, still while right. I'm doing consults. That's we awesome. Ha- we, the main idea to start doing this is to accommodate more and more patients because mm-hmm. we don't want them to be waiting right. uh, with their heart condition for a few weeks. Right. Okay, so, so you're we, seeing them when they're in the hospital. Yeah, we want to see them right away, not as an inpatient, but we opened up our office on certain days in the hospital, too. Right. We have uh, the office right within the hospital as well as St. as West Main. Yeah. And you're on East Main, too. Yeah, I'm on East Main. East and Main West Street. Main, maybe, hopefully. We have him everywhere. Maybe, hopefully. In hopefully out. There. Yes, I know. Tomorrow we're going to be taking you on a little tour in Southbury. Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Nanaraj, I can't thank you enough. No, no, it is my pleasure to be here, and I look forward to doing this more. Oh, yeah, we're going to have you very busy this month. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. This is Dr. Joseph Nanaraj, and you can find him on our website, stmh.org. Click on the uh, Franklin Medical Group and click on Specialty, and he will be there. Um, He's at 1320 West Main Street. Their phone number is 203-709-7300. We will be back um, next Friday with Dr. Paul Kelly talking about knowing your numbers, knowing your cholesterol numbers, knowing your blood pressure, knowing a lot of different numbers or triglycerides that I just talked about tonight, what those numbers all mean. And then we will also be back February 15th with Dr. Kevin Kett, who is an interventional cardiologist with us. And he's going to talk a little bit about arrhythmias and some devices that we do, which I think will be kind of a neat program. So thank you so much for joining us. Robin Sills, St. Mary's Hospital, exceptional care, every patient, every day. Have a great night.